Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from a client who asked me, if you're in good recovery, is it possible to slip or relapse? Well, that's an oxymoron because if you're in good recovery, I maintain that it is not possible for you to slip or relapse. I suspect people that are in good recovery begin to get complacent. They begin to stop doing the hard work that it takes to stay in uh, early recovery. And by early recovery, I mean the first three to five years. And so, obviously, when you're doing really well and it's been 12 months, 18 months, 26 months, it's easy to to stop going to meetings, to stop calling your sponsor, to move your therapy to once a month, to get out of your uh, therapy group for sex addicts, to stop doing your reading, to stop praying or meditating, Uh, remove some of your filters, think that you can click on images that are, are not harmful. And when that happens, that's when you slip relapse. Well, that's not good recovery. Good recovery is doing all those things that you need to do as if it was the first week. The only exception to that is that... Excuse me. The only exception is that instead of white knuckling it the first, second, third, fourth week, fourth month, fourth, well, yeah, we better stick with fourth month, um, that, you know, when you're first getting clean 
you're so thankful for something that's making you better, but you're still really grieving and missing your addiction. And when you're in uh, six months, 14 months, 28 months, you really have developed new neurocircuitry in the brain so that you're not craving the addiction anymore. You've developed new neural ruts in the brain that actually are affording you a new life. And wow, I got to tell you, that's the freedom and the liberation of the program. That is what it looks like to practice good recovery. And that feels good. Now, I got to ask you whether you're one hour, one day, one week, one month, one year into recovery. Do you still have gratitude for this program? Are you still thankful for the person that you're becoming and the person that you want to be? That's what it requires. It requires that attitude of gratitude where you look at what's working and you, you know, feel so good about that. I started to say, and you praise God for it. However, what I do know to be true is probably 15 to 18% of my clients don't believe in a God. So then make that be, boy, I appreciate the program. I appreciate the reading. I appreciate the fellowship. I appreciate my therapist. I appreciate the recovery itself. You know, it's all about appreciation. The reason that I really advocate uh, 12-step processes and groups is because life is all about connection. And connection means that you feel the intimacy with your other fellow sex addicts, with people that are in your group, with a therapist that's non-judgmental, hopefully with your wife and kids or your husband and kids, you really start to appreciate the normal. And I've got a client who always says, uh, you know, I go, how are you doing today? And he goes, well, I am thankful for the normal. I'm thankful for a boring life. I'm thankful for non-drama. And he doesn't really mean a boring life, but what he means is that he lived in such a heightened state of fear that he was going to be discovered that walking around feeling good about yourself, feeling good about the program, feeling good about your recovery, after a day, after a week, after a month, after a year, really does feel like you are sailing through life. And so many of you haven't felt that for such a long time. Now tonight, I'm going to be talking with Brandon Patrick. 
and he wants to talk about connection. He really believes that recovery for the addict and the betrayed is all about connection, and so do I. So we are on the same same wavelength. And as we both agree, true recovery is when you get reconnected again, or maybe even just for the first time. You know, it kind of depends on the sexual trauma or the physical trauma or the emotional trauma you may have experienced as a kid. You've heard me say it before. Part of the addicts that I work with have had trauma. The other part haven't. Oh, they've had some hits in life. They've had some sore spots. They've definitely had some losses and rejections, but they haven't had trauma. So for some of the addicts, they may never have experienced connection. They've never experienced safety. And for other addicts, they have experienced connection, and their sexual addiction disconnected them. So Brandon says the connection to God and self and others is what what healthy recovery looks like. And that addiction undermines the connection and seriously causes attachment problems. And I think if you're listening and you're an addict or you're listening and you're a partner, you know how much you crave attachment. You know, that is the beautiful thing about doing this work is that I watch partners who feel so deceived and so um, fearful, and I watch them begin to lean into security, stability, and attaching to the addict again because they're in true recovery and they're working hard to be the best man they can be, and it shows. So Brandon is going to be giving us illustrations and examples of how to connect to God's self and others. And he's especially going to talk about exercises that have to do with self-compassion and empathy and nurturing spirituality and recovery. I, on the other hand, am going to be eagerly listening because that's probably the number one life skill that I work with my sex addict clients on. You know, I had a client the other day who said, wow, uh, you know, I was, we were, ha- my wife and I were having the best day and we had done a lot of errands and we felt close and she was ba- in the back seat with our four-year-old and all of a sudden I asked her what she was doing and she said, I'm looking at pictures pictures of who I thought you were and pictures of what I thought our family was. And I I just can't believe it. I cannot believe it. You know, here this woman is. She's looking at pictures that represent what she thought her life was like. And what she has discovered is that her life wasn't like that at all. It was an illusion. So he felt like she was jabbing him, like she was putting him down, like she was fighting with him. 
And he said, you know, it gets so discouraging when she attacks me like that. And I happen to know the wife, and I don't see her as being the attacking type, but what I really knew to be true is that oftentimes it may feel like an attack, but it's really the partner grieving the loss of what she thought she had. And you've heard me say it before, when partners are going through their pain and suffering, the first thing an addict needs to do is to help them feel safe and stable and secure. And that takes a while. That takes a long while. That doesn't just work out in a week or two or a month or two. That may take a year or two of good, healthy behaviors. The second thing I know is that when she feels safe enough, she starts grieving. She grieves the relationship she thought she had. She grieves the partner she thought she had. She grieves the loss of intimacy and trust and vulnerability. And she has to grieve and mourn that so that she can then work on rebuilding the relationship with him. Again, I'm talking as if all addicts are are male, and I know that not to be true, but um, I'm just doing it for simplicity's sake. And so I said to him, would you be willing to consider that she was experiencing a moment of grief and she was talking about it out loud, and it may not have been to hurt you at all. She was expressing how she felt and felt safe enough to do it with you. And he stopped and he paused, and he's a very kind man who is really working on his empathy. He's got it. Um, But, you know, when you're under a lot of shame, it's hard to show it. And he said, wow, I never saw that. I, I didn't think that that might be what she was doing. Carol, thank you for reminding me. Thank you for reminding me that, man, she's really hurting. And she was in the back seat just looking at pictures of us And I should have known she was grieving. And I said, well, I want to ask you that every time you feel attacked or feel jabbed or feel sucker punched, ask yourself what you might need to do to reassure her, to empathize with her. And the first thing you can say is, honey, I am so sorry that my behaviors have caused you to look at those pictures and think those thoughts. I get it. I feel it, I feel your pain, and I'm so sorry. And then reassure her that you are the new and improved, that you're working on yourself, that you're a work in progress, and that you're doing it for you, for her, and for the family. And when that happens, and when you can reassure and validate and normalize and I want to say, make an amends or apologize for having caused the feeling to begin with. She feels validated and loved and understood, and it will move her further and farther towards the trust that you need to rebuild that relationship. But again, that does not happen in the first week or month or even year. You know, we know that sex addicts take 
three to five years to reprogram the brain and really develop the neurocircuitry to make their lives different. And I hate to tell you this, if you're a partner listening to the show, it takes you equally as long because you've been betrayed and you want to build trust, but you don't know if you can and you think you've lived a life of illusion. And it takes a long amount of time. And that's why we tell you to take it a day at a time. Because if you think, oh, three to five years, and my gosh, I can't take this, you might want to give up. But if you think, I'm going to do this for today, each day builds on itself and makes a huge difference in that ability to trust and be vulnerable and to connect. And that's what we're talking about tonight because we have Brandon Patrick on the show and he's going to be talking about how do you connect, how do you get reconnected if you've lost it, and how do you connect if you've never had it. So, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Carol. I'm excited to be here. Well, yes. I mean, this is such an important topic, you know, recovery for both the addict and the betrayed. It really is all about connection, isn't that? true it's all about connection and you know when you look at what recovery is um it's it's not about sobriety it's about learning how to reconnect and and so that's that's why i wanted to talk about that tonight yeah well tell us a little bit about that i mean if you will it's said that addiction is an attachment disorder or an intimacy disorder explain that to our listening audience and and if you will, connect us to that concept of connection and reconnection. Yeah, so addiction is an attachment disorder. I think that that can be kind of confusing. What does that even mean? Um, addiction, you think about what addiction is. Um, you know, I, I say addiction's best buddy is denial. And, um, and denial, what, essentially what denial is, is denying what reality is. And you're disconnecting from what is. And so you're detaching from reality. And so that, that's the first steps of the detachment process is an addict will go into denial and they'll minimize things, they'll justify things, um, and they're not attached to what's going on with them and they're not attached with what's going on around them. And as that starts to happen, um, and, and they're in that denial, they're not able to attach to other people in a vulnerable way. And as the addiction, the, the course of the addiction goes on, um, the shame sets in around the addiction. And the last thing that an addict wants to do is have a vulnerable um, uh, relationship. They, they want relationships that are very surface level, disconnected, because they're worried that somebody might find them out and, and their shame will get triggered. And so um, healthy relationships and addiction don't go together. Um, they don't work together. And, you know, I've heard it said, Carol, that addiction is somebody's attempt to find God. Um, it's somebody's attempt to feel love. It's somebody's attempt to feel okayness. And the more they go to their substance of choice, or be it, be it sex or drugs or whatever it is, um, the more they feel this false sense of okayness, but the more they feel disconnected from everything around them. And so that's how, that's how the, you know, it, the addiction itself just perpetuates more and more disconnection. And so the opposite of, of that is recovery, which is all about connection. 
So. So how you know we we know that there's a larger pro- propensity of people who experience addiction when they've lacked attachment from the get-go. You know, it's kind of like they didn't get the proper attachment with their family of origin, and then they just kind of reenact that trauma over and over again. Um, So explain to our listening audience more about what that all entails. So what happens when when we're in early stages of development, one thing that we want to know or we need to know as children is that uh, mom and dad are safe and mom and dad are there to protect us. And, you know, as children, we don't know any better than the families that we're, we're in. And it's a lot easier for a child to, instead of internalize, look, maybe mom and dad aren't very safe. Or, you know, a child doesn't stop and think, I'm in a dysfunctional family. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll turn it on themselves and they'll, they'll say, look, it's probably not mom and dad who are the problem here. Um, it's probably you know, they're, they're okay. I'm the problem. If I could be better, if I could be different, then, um, th- then things would be okay. And, and that's how shame starts to develop. Now, what happens is a child who's disconnected from mom and dad, they don't have that secure attachment. Um, they still need connection. We all need connection. It's a basic human need. And so, they, they look for it somewhere, and when they find something that makes them feel okay, something they can attach to, then they go back to that thing to feel that, that feeling of, of okayness again and again. And at a very young age, when a child starts to go to porn or sex or drugs to feel okay, then they start to soothe themselves and regulate their emotions. I shouldn't say regulate their emotions. They start to numb their emotions through the use of that substance. And so that's how it starts to develop this, this attachment disorder is they're attaching to this thing that really gives them a short-term feeling of, of pleasure and okayness, but it gives them an escape enough from the unhealthy attachment from the family that they're raised in. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and do you believe in trauma reenactment? Oh, for sure, yes. And, and so when the trauma takes place, it's an unhealthy, unsafe environment. And so they go reenact that trauma again in their own lives. And it, 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 it you know, addiction causes more trauma. And so, so absolutely. Okay, now let me ask you something, because clearly you say connection to God's self and others is what we really need to accomplish to, you know, combat betrayal trauma. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, both, both, both betrayal trauma and addiction. And so if I can take one of those at a time, um, okay. you know, I run, I run a lot of groups. I, group therapy is my favorite thing because group therapy is all about connection. It's all about attachment. And, and the groups that I run, we, we get in my groups and we get vulnerable, both, both the men and the women, both the, the addicted and the betrayed. And, um, and, and, and it's, it's hard. It's really hard for an addict to come in and get vulnerable. Um, it's hard for a spouse who's experienced betrayal trauma to come and get vulnerable with others because they've been hurt. 
And, but that, that connection to others, what, what happens to help them heal their shame and, and their, their trauma wounds? They're, they're coming in hurt. They're coming in scared. They feel like, it, you know, if I, that, that if I really showed myself, then people wouldn't love me. And if you can get in a therapy group or you can get with a, a support person or a therapist who can, who, who, who can set the environment where, look, you can be completely open and vulnerable and we'll still love you, we'll still connect to you, um, it starts to help them overcome those feelings of, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy of love, others won't, others won't love me if they knew me. And so both for the betrayed and the addicted, healing that shame requires connection. Um, now, I got to say, Carol, it's, you know, an addict or a, a wife with betrayal trauma, they don't come into my groups and just start opening up. And um, it, it does start first with a, a connection to themselves and a connection to God. And, um, you know, uh, addicts have a really hard time um, empathizing and holding space for their spouses um, to, 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 to be able to connect to their spouse can almost feel impossible. And the reason behind that, I believe, is, is a lack of secure attachment with God, is when they can't stand on their own two feet and feel like, look, I am okay, then they're going to be constantly defending and deflecting and worried what, what their wife is thinking about them, so they can't hold space for her. And so an, an addict... Over, over time, as they're using in their addiction, they believe that they're weak, that God wouldn't love them as they are, and, and so it starts to create that shame for them, um, which detaches them from God and ultimately detaches them from others. Um, and so, so recovery starts with, it actually starts with reconnection back to self. It's overcoming that denial. Um, it's, it's getting rigorously honest. There, there's a reason why... Um, why, why a huge part of treatment and, 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 and recovery work is going in this direction toward mindfulness because mindfulness is about getting centered and getting present and understanding who you are in the world around you. And so one of the first steps is reconnecting to self, learning mindfulness, practicing mindfulness, also figuring out who you are. What, what is your purpose? What do you love? What, do you, what, what, what makes your heart just... Just, just speaks to your heart. Um, what, what gives you fulfillment uh, outside of the addiction and understanding that? And what are your boundaries and, and, and why are they your boundaries? But, but being able to, to step into that and know yourself. Um, so that's connecting to yourself. And then that leads to connection to God, which ultimately makes it so you can hold space and empathize with others. So I don't know if I explained well, that very well. Absolutely. And, it's so interesting that you're talking about this because prior to you coming on the show, I said, you know, what happens in group happens out there, and what happens out there happens in group. And sometimes uh, group or 12-step meetings can be the safest place to be vulnerable because you hear it all and you realize you're not alone. Now, I was saying that about uh, 15 to 18% of my clients don't believe in a higher power or they don't believe in God. So what would you tell those folks? Because they're good folks too, and for whatever reason, they just can't go there in terms of 
a higher power. So I'm I'm a big twelve step guy. I love twelve step, and uh, and I, I you know I have clients from all different faiths, and this is what I well, this is what I tell them all is, you know your higher power. It doesn't have to be my God. It doesn't have to be the person next to you's God. It it just needs to be something outside of you, something bigger than you. Um, it doesn't have to be um, a certain religion, but what happens is, a, is an addict, there's a paradox here. Um, and, and what it is, is an addict needs to connect, reconnect back to themselves. But one way that they reconnect back to themselves is by getting outside of their head, by getting outside of themselves. And so, so the, if they think that just willpower will get them to recovery, then they're mistaken. And if they can surrender over some things and, and that surrender process isn't, it's, it's not about giving up. It's not about, it, it's not even about letting go. It's about acceptance of what is. And, and that relationship with God, whatever God is, is about being able to give the reality of the situation over to something so that they can then become aware of it and start to work on it. If, they, if, they, if they're trying to do it just with willpower, white-knuckling their way through, they can get sobriety for a while. But real recovery, it, it requires letting go of that control, letting go of that fear, and giving it up to something. And so that's what, that's what I teach, Carol. Is it, it doesn't have to be you know, a specific God, but it needs to be something outside of them and something bigger than them that they can surrender to. Well, and you had referenced it earlier, whether it be getting connected to yourself or getting connected to a higher power, oftentimes shame gets in the way. So what specific exercises or advice do you give sex addicts when shame gets in their way? That's a a great question. Um, the, The best antidote for shame is doing opposite action and so what that means is shame says fight or flight Um, shame is such an overwhelming emotion that it shuts people down and and the last thing they want to do is get vulnerable while they're feeling shame and so um, one of the best ways to learn how to be resilient to your shame and Brené Brown you know she, she she's written multiple books on this and she's the expert on it but it's it's about Courage. Courage is practicing. Courage is one of the best ways to to overcome shame. You know, if you feel like, you know, being a failure is overwhelming, and I'm so scared if people might see me as a failure, then you need to go put yourself out there and possibly fail, and and learn that look, I can fail, but I'm still okay. If you feel like you're unworthy of love, then you need to go try to love somebody, and either they'll love you or they won't. But but if you just sit in that place of fear, you know, shame to me is a definition of shame is just a fear of abandonment or rejection. Um, you know, we're worried that somebody might see us as bad or less than, and so they're going to reject us. And so we feel shame. Well, overcoming shame is about connection. It's about vulnerably putting yourself out there to the world and learning that even if people do reject you, that you're okay. Um, learning that even if even if you do succeed or you fail, that you're going to be okay. And so, courage is the way out of out of shame. Um, speaking your shame is one of the best things to do. And so, what that is is 
when you feel shame and you want to you wanna hide or you want to fight back or just to say something like, gosh, I'm really scared that you might see me as weak right now. Um, or, or, you know, when you said that to me or when that happened, I feel like it, it makes me fearful that you might reject me. To say that to somebody or to call somebody and say, gosh, I just need to know that I'm loved right now because, because I'm hurting and I'm scared that I'm going to get rejected. And to have somebody hold that space and say, look, you're okay. I love you. Um, that's what heals shame. And so, so yeah, those are just some of the steps towards shame resiliency. And, 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 and ultimately, group work is all about that. It's creating that safe connection so people can talk that vulnerably so that recovery can happen. Well, I agree with you 100%. And certainly, you know, one of the things, I'm a, a CSAT, a certified sexual addiction therapist, but I'm also an APSAT. So I am a clinical certified partner trauma specialist. And, you know, partners experience so much trauma when they find out that their addict has betrayed them and has been living this life of an illusion, which, of course, then makes them feel like they're living the life of illusion. And it's difficult for them to have that kind of compassion or empathy for the addict because they are in a world of hurt and they are dealing with their own pain and they they just don't necessarily, they're not able to give that. And so, obviously, when... When a man or a woman is in group, whether that be 12-step group or therapy group, those people get it. They've lived it. They understand it. They empathize with it. And they are very nonjudgmental because they know the pain that the addict's in. And so they get, right. you know, obviously addicts get a lot of compassion, a lot of empathy, and a lot of shame resilience, uh, they get to work through their feelings of shame right there with people that care care about them. Right, yeah. You know, it's funny you bring this up because last week I ran a women's group, and I was, I was, I was sharing some DVT skills, and, and um, anyways, we, we somehow got on the topic of empathy and validation for the addict, and uh, I think there was nine women in that group and I started, I started talking about how they could get to the place, they, they could, it's possible, where they could empathize with, with their husband, the, the, you know, their husband who's struggling with the addiction. And they looked at me like I was speaking a foreign language. And, and to them, to them it, was, it was almost invalidating to their pain in that moment. And I had to be very delicate in the, in the way I was talking about it. But you're absolutely right, Carol, is it's not a wife's job right after the betrayal to be the safest person where the, the addict can be completely vulnerable because she has a lot of, she has a lot of trauma she's dealing with. And for good reason, she, she's, she's probably disconnecting and not, not really wanting to hear um, the most vulnerable, intimate details of what's going on with him. And, and hopefully the addicts, ho- hopefully the person struggling with addiction can understand that take a step back and give her her space to heal so that she can then want to then down the road, want to reconnect with him. Um, She's, she's, she's been hurt. And so I don't think expecting her to step right into empathy for his addiction is, is, is healthy 
many ways. So. Well, yeah, in so many ways, just like the addict has had their brain hijacked by the sexual addiction, the partner has had her brain hijacked by the trauma. And so she's in that amygdala. She's feeling that freeze, flight, or fr- um, fight. And, you know, so many addicts that I work with, you know, their wives will be going along. They'll look like maybe there is a chance for forgiveness. Maybe there's some compassion coming along. And then all of a sudden, you know, she slams him with something because she's been hurt and she's protecting herself. And and I do think you were on when I was saying this can take three to five years, too, to actually yeah. work through and begin to rebuild or restore the relationship but it's certainly worth it if both people can figure out how to do it with with a good CSAT or um, somebody who is a clinical partner specialist. You know, to be able to work through issues like this makes both people grow exponentially. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. So a couple of things you said I, w- I want to touch on. One is, you know, betrayal trauma is so different than typical trauma it's not like some it's not like they get in a car accident and there's a an event that was traumatic that now they have now they'll remember for the rest of their life um the trail trauma is multi-dimensional it it's uh it's complex and it's ongoing um, they're still in the relationship and so they're trying to figure out how to be safe in an unsafe environment and so it's it's very um it's very tricky and it takes knowing what real health, healthy boundaries are and having a support system and all those things for recovery. And so, so you're right. It, it takes time um, and it takes work for, for the spouse to heal so that she can um, reconnect again. Um, but I, I, I want to tell you a story. I had, had a session this week and um, what happened was, he came on and he said, gosh, all you talk about is, is, is me. I'm an addict. And all you bring up is that I'm an addict and I'm an addict. And he basically was, was just, he was speaking his shame in an un, unvulnerable way, unhealthy way. And, and, uh, and, and I just said to him, I said, hey, hang on for a second. Um, you know, when, when we say that you're an addict, you take that as you're bad, you're horrible, you're wrong, you're disgusting. And he said, yeah, how else would I take it? And I think I'm I'm one of the only people on the planet. Maybe you too, Carol. But but I said to him, look, I I would love it if my daughter's married addicts. And and he looked at me like what? And and I was like, look, uh, really, uh, the the men I work with day in and day out that are in recovery, um, if they're working their recovery, they make amazing husbands and spouses because they're honest, they're humble, they're connected. Um, they're willing to work, and they're they're incredible. And so when we talk about, I said to him, when when we talk about your addiction, I'm not judging it as bad. I, I really don't see it as bad as long as you're working your recovery, as long as you're engaged in that process. It's not a bad thing, and it can be a blessing in your life. And I know there's probably some women out there hearing this thing. Are you kidding me? Like I don't like hearing that. That. But, but but really, if, if he can work his recovery and get reconnected back to himself, reconnected back to God, and learn how to empathize and reconnect to another person, then then addicts make amazing spouses. 
So. Oh, you know what? I have said exactly the same thing, and and my listeners know that my husband's in recovery, uh, 23 years from alcoholism, and and I say, boy, I spend more time with people in recovery than earthlings, which are people that aren't in recovery. And the reason I do is because good recovery means they're always working on themselves. They don't get complacent. They work on self-improvement, empathy, understanding, vulnerability, all those things that I want in my friends, in my husband, in my family. And so I can really relate to what you say because I agree 100%. When somebody's working right. with true recovery, they are truly working on self-improvement on steroids. I mean, they're always working. Well, and they have to. And, and, and they've accepted that that's the life they have to live. That's, it's their lifestyle change. And, and man, it, it, it really creates, a, you know, a great spouse, a, a person to, to live with as long as they are humble enough and willing enough to continue to work it. so. Well, yeah, and, and they can't get complacent because when they get complacent, then they can get hijacked again. And so I notice that people that are in true recovery, you know, they're not looking at their life as one of deprivation. They're looking at their life as one with gratitude and fulfillment. Um so let me just share with my audience that I am talking with Brandon Patrick, and Brandon has two different websites. One is www.academyofinnerpeace.com, and the other one is reclaimyourheartretreats.com. So tell us a little bit about both of these websites and how you work with people. Yeah, so let me start with with the latter one first. Um my brother, who's a therapist as well, he specializes in betrayal, trauma, and sex addiction, so b- both of us do. Uh, we run retreats, and um, what, what we found is, you know, day in and day out in our offices, we do as much good as we can, um, but we found that going to experience things, and like I talked about earlier, experiencing courage, experiencing connection to God, um, getting out in, in nature, um, really creates a shift. And so it's not just talking about things, it's actually doing things and experiencing it. And so, um, so yeah, so we run retreats. We're doing one in Alaska next month, actually. And um, it's a week long. It's on its own private island. So we're really excited um, to get men up there and just reconnect them to themselves, reconnect them to God, and have them have an experience. And so um, I have that. And then I also have... Um, and the Academy of Inner Peace, that website kind of goes along with that. Um, the other thing that I do is I have the Betrayed, the Addicted, and the Expert podcast, which is a lot of fun. Um, I work with a couple who's who's in uh, recovery, and they're doing really well in their recovery. And what we do is we just take a, a, a topic of recovery, and we, we break it up um, from our three different perspectives. So we have the perspective of the betrayed. We have this perspective of the addict, and then and then my perspective. And so it's a, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy doing the, the podcast. And so we we have I don't know maybe twenty twenty five episodes now. So. Wow. Well, tell our listeners how they can hear your podcast. So if they go to iTunes and and just look up the betrayed, the addicted, and the expert, 
or you can go to uh, betrayedaddictedexpert.com and find us there. So, Well, because that sounds fascinating. And um, obviously your couple must be in good, healthy recovery to be able to be so vulnerable and honest and opinionated. Absolutely. And what, what I love about them is, He's very willing and and resilient to his shame, but he's very willing to be vulnerable and talk about his struggles. And Ashlyn, the wife, she is very um, self-reflective. She doesn't come into it as as the victim, um, but she's very reflective of herself, and she wants to move forward. She wants to gain tools. She wants to be healthy. And so both of them are just an amazing couple, and I'm, I'm really blessed. To, to be able to work with them on the podcast. Well, I bet. And and these were your clients or recommended to you or Yeah, so they've they've worked with me in groups, um, and then they've worked with other therapists as well. And so yeah, but I've I've known them for a lot of years and I've I've watched their recovery process take shape. And uh, so, yeah, I've I've seen the the process with them, and it's been amazing. Okay, so now maybe some of my listeners have gotten a pen to write down the name of your podcast again. So let's go over it one more time for them. Okay, so it's the Betrayed, the Addicted, and the Expert. And you can find us on iTunes, or you can find us um, at you can find us on our Facebook page as well. Uh, the betrayed, the addicted, and the expert. Wow, that's and that's then, phenomenal. And obviously, you yeah. do know not just about sex addiction, but you know about the trauma, the pain, and even the shame that can accompany the betrayed, the partner. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I I, I love working with with the partner, and and my heart goes out to them. And what why what i love about doing it carol is they come in and and they want they want to do the right things they want to get healthy but they just don't know how and it's really it's it's good to be able to give them some tools give them some education so that they can get some hope to say look i'm not stuck i can do something here and i can get healthy and so yeah i do i i really like working with the the partner as well well, you know, it's interesting because I worked with sexual abuse for six years in a county where I kept families together. The incest or the molest had occurred in the family, you know, whether it be an uncle, a grandfather, a stepfather, a father, a mother, a sister, a brother. And our job, my job, was to keep families together, but more importantly, keep everybody safe. And that was mm-hmm. the premise. And and I have to admit, being a CSAT and an APSATS, my belief is if we can keep couples together the, and they can get healthy, it's kind of like you said, their relationship will be the new and improved. I mean, it can never go back to what it was. They'll never have the old life. That was an illusion. That had plenty of flaws. And, and so will the new relationship, but there won't be the betrayal. So if they can stay together, that's great. And, of course, what I know to be true is that some some couples can't. It's just too painful. There's too much betrayal. And the damage, the, the trauma, the shame, the pain, um, 
has caused too much damage for him to go back. But I always tell my clients, both addicts and partners, and then my other clients, you know, with sexual addiction, my experience is people want to stay together. If I'm working mm-hmm. with a couple and he or she's had an affair, they may kick the other person to the curb. But when there is lots of betrayal and an addiction, which shows compulsivity and kind of that inability to know how to get out of it, um, partners are willing to hang in there to see if reconciliation is even a possibility. Uh, And so that gives me a lot of hope that, again, like you saw your addict being, you know, an amazing person when they really work the recovery tools, that's what I believe for the coupleship. Absolutely. And and I'm amazed every day at, at people's willingness to hang in and do hard things and, and fight for their families. And, you know, I, I, I really am inspired by that. Um, but sometimes, like you say, sometimes uh, recovery can, can destroy relationships when one person is getting healthier and they have, they're more authentic, they have better boundaries, and the other person doesn't want to, um, that, you know, it, it starts to create some separation. And sometimes the best thing to do is to, is to end a toxic relationship. And that can be really, really hard. The, the ultimate goal and what, what we love to see, Carol, I think both of us, is when, when both people are willing to engage in the process and then the relationship does just come together. And it's an amazing thing. So. Well, it's kind of like you said, um, to get to that point, obviously, everybody has to work their recovery tools. Everybody has to find outside support. Um, everybody has to do what it takes to create that sense of safety and stability so that they can go that extra mile with vulnerability and courage and trust. Because that takes a while after something like this for both the addict and the partner. My my big catch-all phrase is it may be the addict that carries the shame, but it's the partner that carries the pain. And as a result, mm. you've got to have two willing people who can accept where the other person is at and do their own work to figure out if they can stay in the relationship. Um, what would you say as we begin to wrap up the show? What would you uh, What would you tell people about how they can increase their courage and their vulnerability? Okay. Yeah. So. You know, I, one of my, my things that I say all the time is if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. And so if, if you're expecting different results, then you, need, then you need to do something different. And what that means is, you know, where, where, where does the shame lie? I think one of the first things to identify is what are your, your unwanted identities and where do you shy away from putting yourself out there? Um, and that could be, at work, you know, maybe being assertive with your boss and honest with him is a place that you can practice some courage. Um, maybe it's in your relationship. Maybe it's just listening and trying to hold space for somebody else or, or honestly, um, vulnerably communicating something to them. Um, it, can be, it can be at school. It can be at church. Maybe it's just you're scared to go make a new friend. So just going to sit by somebody at lunch and talk to them and get to know somebody new, that could be your act of courage for the day. Um, 
but that there's, there's opportunity everywhere you go to practice courage. Um, it's just practicing acting against your shame and, and not, and not, you know, not just, just, we get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so push, stretch yourself, push yourself to be a little bit uncomfortable and that will help you overcome your shame. So, okay. So stretch yourself to be a bit uncomfortable and yet find some people that you truly believe will be safe, um, safe to, uh, to experiment and explore that vulnerability and courage, right? I'm so glad you brought that up because I'll have my clients get what I call a shame partner. And what that is is they designate somebody who is like the safest person for them um, that they can call and tell them anything. They can open up about their feelings. They can just say, this is where I'm at on this. And that person does two things. Um, they, don't, they don't wallow. Um, they don't fix it. They just hold space, and they, they reflect things back. And, um, and that's it. And they're just safe for them. And, but, but finding people that you can do that with is essential to, to start to heal your shame and overcome your shame. Yeah, you know, I do a YouTube videos, um, Sex Help with Carol the Coach on YouTube, and I do them for partners and for addicts. And I got to tell you, the the episodes that get the most play are always about how do you build trust in your partner. I mean, partners want to know how to feel more trust, and I'm sure they watch it. And then, obviously, sex addicts who are, are working some good recovery – and are wishing that they could really reverse the collateral damage that's occurred as a result of their sexual addiction, they're always saying, what can I do to make this better? You know, I know it's my penance. I know it's my amends. I know it's it's the right thing to do to get us back on track. I, I, I threw us off the track, and now I need to to make it up. And... I so appreciate what you have given us tonight because truly, I always say connection is the antidote for sexual addiction. And I've yep. heard you saying connection is the antidote for shame. And I think we're saying the same thing, are we not? Yep, yep. Yeah, shame is the root of addiction. And and so I think we are, Carol. I think we're saying the exact same thing. And, you know, the beauty of it is is when when a guy's in recovery – um, his it, it, a wife will say, how do I know when he's safe, when he's in recovery? And uh, I can just tell her, you'll know. You'll, you'll feel it because he'll be connected. He'll be connected to you. Um, he, you know, he'll be there with you. And, and that's the truth. And so when connection happens, that shame is gone. The addiction, there's no need for the addiction anymore. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Well, I know that you've talked before about nurturing spirituality in your recovery, which I do believe is so important for um, both that salve that heals the wound of addiction and that Mm -hmm. salve that heals the wound of trauma. Can you share a little bit about how you would encourage our listeners to nurture their own sense of spirituality in recovery. Absolutely. So, you know, there's a difference between what you might hear at church and what you, what 
what nurturing spirituality is. And, and, you know, whatever religion you go to, you might hear, look, you need to pray a lot or you need to, and those things might work for you to connect to God. And those things might be awesome for you. Um, but just because you hear that at church doesn't mean that that's the only way to connect to God. Um, find things and ways that God speaks to you. And so some things that, that, that I've seen work for people, and I know some things that work for me personally, um, are things like nature. Um, how often do you just stop and, and get in nature and, and get mindful and let God speak to you through, through the wind or, or through the mountains or wherever you're at. Um, journaling and, and, and writing to God or just writing things out is a way to, to connect to God. Um, music and, and, and listening to the music and letting it resonate and letting it speak to your heart is a way to connect to God, you know, as well as prayer and and, and a lot of other things. But when you feel a sense of connectedness, a sense of purpose, I know, Carol, I, I feel a connection to God with my work. When I'm, when I'm with my clients, sometimes truth is just there, and I know it's there. And, and I notice that. I notice God's hand in that. And so I think, I think if we're open to it, we can see God's love and his connection anywhere. And and, but, but we need to be open to it. That's the key. And, and we need to be available to, to let him speak to us and connect to us. Yeah, good point. And obviously that's the miracle that happens. When we begin to feel that in God, we also begin to feel that in ourselves. It's a, it's a real sense of reciprocity. Um, again, I so appreciate you helping us out today and talking to us about how to connect. I want to remind everybody that I was talking with Brandon Patrick and his two websites are www.reclaimyourheartretreats.com. Uh, he's taken some folks up to Alaska. I mean, so it sounds Come like you're going anywhere. Yes. Yeah. It's now, gonna be an you're not from Alaska, are you? No, no, no. We we just we got this place on its own private island just to work recovery for a week. So that's why we're going there. And we're going to do some fishing while we're at it, too. Oh, very good, very good. <laughs> and then his other website is www.academyofinnerpeace.com. So I would encourage my listeners to go to both of those websites and um, connect with any resources, connect with Brandon on, um, again, a vulnerable and intimate level. And, Brandon, thank you so much for sharing your podcast and I look forward to hearing that myself. I'm going to make sure I listen tonight and and keep doing the good work that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Carol. And, and you too, keep doing the good work that you're doing. Absolutely. I know you've got many other topics for us, so let's get you back on the show, okay? Sounds good. Anytime. All right. You take care and have a great week. All right. We'll see you. All right. So that was Brandon Patrick, and again, I just really am impressed with the work he's doing. You can feel his energy. You know, he you, you can tell he practices rigorous honesty. Um, and you know what? If you want to know more about what Brandon had to say, this is going to be a plug for me. Are you ready? I want you to go to my YouTube channel, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, same as the show. And look up my Sparks TED Talk. 
It's 10 minutes exactly to the second. And first I talk about what sexual addiction is. It's an educational process because I was speaking before an audience that knew nothing about sex addicts. And then I talk about why sex addicts make the best people ever. I say the gifts of being a sex addict. I think that's actually what the talk is called. And if you just watch that, you'll see my enthusiasm. I I was contacted, oh, hundreds of times thereafter um, with people that said, hey, my brother's a sex addict, and I, w- I was wondering how he can get a hold of you, or my sister's a sex addict. She left her family for, you know, this guy, and, and I, it, it really spoke to people. If it didn't deal with them directly, everybody knows of infidelity and compulsion and sex out of control, and that's the kind of society we have right now. And so I'd like to invite you to go to that TED Talk, The Gifts of Being a Sex Addict, and check it out. So I will see you next week. Believe it or not, I'm working on Memorial Day. I had a I had a, somebody who we really wanted to get in, and I said, well, I was going to replay a show on Memorial Day, but if you want to, if you want to talk on the show, I'll let Sean. And she said yes. So we'll be talking more about sex help with Carol the Coach. And as I say to you at every show, I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be yourself, be vulnerable, have strength, and rigorous honesty. They're all great ingredients for being the best person ever. Have a great week. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.